This is the Brain Over Belly podcast, solving the puzzle of obesity with Dr. David Brown of Idaho BMI. Did you know that the most common first symptom of heart disease is sudden death? That's why prevention is so important. Today, Dr. Brown explains what you need to be doing now to keep your heart healthy. Here's your host, Rick Dunn. Welcome back for part two of our deep dive about heart disease. Dr. Brown, thank you for being here again. Good, Good to, to be see here, you. Rick. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm a married man. You are indeed. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So in our last show, uh, we talked about taking a wider look at what causes heart disease. Super interesting. You got comments? You want to reiterate some things really quick? What are your thoughts? Uh, sure. Just a one-sentence summary. Really, the 12 step, twelve steps to a heart attack. It, it's really all about this overwhelming chronic chain reaction of inflammation. That's yeah. what's driving heart disease. And heart disease, I mean, a couple of things that I learned, uh, that is the number one cause of death. Yep. In, in America. In America. Every year has been for a long time. And uh, this was really interesting to me. The uh, the number one symptom of heart disease is death. Sudden death. Sudden death. Yep. It, it's over right then. So Right. The most common first symptom, the person hasn't had chest pain, they haven't had a heart attack, haven't had everything. The most common right. first symptom is sudden death. Which it's obviously too late at that point. Right. right. Uh, so today we want to dig into treatment and prevention. Uh, let me ask you this question. Is modern medicine missing the mark on on that stuff right now? Well, we are primarily focused on treatments for heart disease after it is already uh, set in. Right. After a person has had symptoms already. And again, in recognizing that, we also recognize that we're missing roughly 50% of people whose first symptom was death. Right. So... <clears throat> too little, too late. Um, and in part, it's just the way we've been trained and our education and the way we've been taught to think about it. So so you're saying, yes, maybe missing the mark a little bit. Okay. We could do better? All right. Yes, we definitely could be doing better. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. We need to understand the whole process, that whole chain reaction better, and how to change things much earlier. So prevention is the key. That's yes. that's the focus. Yeah. That's what we want to talk about. Why prevention, uh, when it comes to heart disease, is is a big goal for us. How can we achieve that? So modern medicine, we are focused on treating heart disease after it's already developed. Um, so everybody think. Well, a lot of people think that putting in stents and doing open heart surgery, doing a bypass, uh, that it extends people's lives. Significantly, and the truth is, it it doesn't. Uh, and, and I should be clear here: there are re- really two categories of heart disease or coronary artery disease. One is what we would consider stable. So they don't. These are folks who have heart disease that it's not advancing quickly. The other is unstable coronary artery disease. Uh, someone is having a heart attack. We're having rapid progression of those symptoms. Yeah. Um, in in the folks with stable coronary artery disease, there have been some big studies in the last two years that have shown that in those people with stable disease, putting in stents, doing open heart surgery, doing bypasses, it doesn't extend their lives. It doesn't help them live longer. So what's it doing? 
Or it's just making us all think we're uh, <laughs> it's a band aid, I mean, right? <laughs> you could ask ask the question, well <laughs> You don't tricky. you don't want to say the politically incorrect thing? Is that what you don't want to do? Uh, <laughs> Well, why do we do it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of people are shocked by that, that in that very big category of people with heart disease, stents and bypass surgery doesn't really extend life. Now, in people with unstable coronary disease, yeah, it does. It will extend person's life. Gotcha. So either way, I mean, we're behind the ball. That's the bottom line. And again, nobody would argue with that. We, we need to understand the whole process better and know how to prevent all of it. People are still dying. Yes. And that's not getting any better. We're missing half of them right off the bat. So preventing heart disease, that's, that's the goal. Yes. Okay. How do we prevent heart disease? What do we have to do? Well, first, I think we have a long ways to go to understanding really the chain of events driving the process. And we talked about it last time, but good argument could be made that the primary fundamental driver or the first step is this excessive oxidative stress. And again, just to review, it's think of rust. You know, you drive, I used to drive by the the bay on the East Coast and you see the ships and you see the green and the reddish rust rust from oxidation. Well, that same thing is happening in our bodies and that's the first thing really that's going and so so we have to reduce oxidative stress yeah and then there's a lot of things i mean oxidative stress it's it's so intermingled and intertwined and interrelated to inflammation and insulin resistance but yes that's i would say the first thing we need to lower the amount of oxidative stress in our bodies. So how do we do that? How do we reduce oxidative stress? Well, there are a lot of things. And, and you know, we, last time we talked about this 12-step reaction, Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and that's a simplification, what we talked about. But I think it's a fair... Uh, it really lets together. us know what's going on inside the yeah. body that leads to heart disease. Yeah, I think that is the most likely uh, sequence of events that is the together the primary driver of coronary artery disease so reducing oxidative stress i would say that is that should be the number one thing that we're focusing on and the number one way to do that would be the change what we're eating okay americans eat far too much sugar and high carb food and we eat far too much poofas poly and saturated fatty acids at first i just thought you made that word up but (laughs) i didn't you didn't take credit um that's an, a big umbrella of fats. You know, yeah. you got saturated fats and then polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats. Uh, people have heard of omega 3s. These are good fatty acids. They're good. They're in fish, other sources. And yeah, we want those. But that's only one type of polyunsaturated fatty acids. And on average, Americans are eating far too many other. I know I am. Yeah, vegetable oils, seed oils, fried foods. And, you know, when we consume those things, at the time we consume them, roughly half of them are already oxidized, are ready to start doing damage. The other, you know, PUFAs that are not oxidized already, they are fuel for that chain reaction. So very comfortable saying we need to lower the intake of that as well as high-carb foods and sugars. So food's number one on the list. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, there's a I bunch of things question. here, but that is the number one thing. Yep. Uh, what else? How do we reduce oxidative stress? Fasting. I think we eat too frequently, and there's good evidence now that going without food, fasting, helps to lower oxidative stress. Um, studies show, you know, last time we talked about that glycocalyx, that little frond-like, carpet-like protective yeah. inner layer of the yeah. arteries. Well, a person goes out and they, you eat a high-sugar food, you can tell that that inner layer, that glycocalyx, the inner layer of the artery, it's damaged. It's significantly thinner within two hours of eating that high-sugar meal. It takes the body about 12 hours to repair that. So if in three or four hours we're, we're eating another meal... It's not long enough. Right, especially if it's got sugar and these poopies yeah. in them. It, we, we never catch up. So... Yeah, we want to fast. So we've got food, we've got fasting. What's next? I would say exercise. Exercise. And it's a bit of a paradox on this one that, you know, you go to the gym or you go run. If you're exercising with some intensity, you're actually causing oxidative stress. You know, when you lift weights. (laughs) I thought we didn't want to do uh, that. (laughs) Well, again, way back we talked about it at reasonable levels, lower levels, it's a good thing. It's good for us. Yeah. Um, and when we go and we lift weights, we're causing little tiny tears in the muscle. Right. And the body's response in repairing that tear is really good. That's how you build new muscle. Same thing with oxidative stress that, yeah, lifting weights, running, that type of thing, it does cause some oxidative stress. But the body's response to it helps the body become more resilient in managing oxidative stress. It's like a different form of an immune system. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so foods, fasting, exercise, and... Drinking lots of water. Water. Yeah. Most people are dehydrated. It's estimated 70% or seventy percent of people are chronically dehydrated. And that does a lot of things. None of them are good. It makes people more anxious, changes some hormone levels, does a lot of things. But uh, if we're interested in oxidative stress, I think there are studies that are good that suggest we need to be hydrating well to manage that. So we're going over reducing oxidative stress, foods, fasting, exercise, water. Next on the list? Sleep. Good sleep. Oh, yeah. It's important. Yeah, if we're not sleeping well, if we go to bed late, we don't get enough sleep, yeah, we, that is a, one of the fundamental drivers of too much oxidative damage in our bodies. Um, I've struggled a, li- a bit with sleep recently. Not you. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I have. And I even bought this thing called an Aura Ring to help me sort of troubleshoot that a bit. But, yeah, sleep is very important. Uh, and we are built to follow the sun, the circadian rhythm, to be up and awake and active during the day and to go to sleep at night when it's dark. And, you know, when the sun goes down, it gets dark, temperature cools off. A lot of changes happen in the body. Um, You get the release of melatonin from a gland called the pineal gland in the brain. But it's that melatonin that's released at that time, it signals to the body that it's time to wind down and get ready for sleep. That's really why you're getting sleepy. So you're, uh, uh, we've already got the melatonin. We don't need to be taking more melatonin. Yeah, I've taken it. For the most it. part. Yeah, I've taken it before. I don't. I haven't in years. I think it's debatable. Yeah. But, but no, if, if we're doing these things consistently, I don't think we need to take a supplement of melatonin. Um, it's really fascinating. During the day, <clears throat> if we are exposed to sun, 
you know, that's important for vitamin D. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, sunlight, one of the things it does is it helps, uh, helps us fight that oxidative damage. And at night, melatonin, it's released. It's higher in, you know, its level is higher in the, in, at night. And that helps fight oxidative stress in our bodies at night. And if we mess with that and our sleep cycle's off, we're, we're not managing oxidative stress well. Last thing, to reduce your oxidative stress? I would say mindfulness and stress management. Uh, a lot of people think stress is the enemy, and we want to manage our lives to completely get rid of stress. I, I would disagree. I think um, my personal goal is to become more resilient and to be able to manage stress and walk through it and manage life's responsibilities in a way that doesn't knock me off of my grounding, being centered. And I think that I think should be the goal. And so stress management, there's a lot of ways to approach that. And I think mindfulness practices is key. Uh, Meditation, resonance breathing, box breathing, um, cold therapy is another topic. But yeah, I think there are decent studies that suggest that mindfulness meditation can considerably reduce oxidative stress in the body. So all of these things go together, really. So bariatric surgery can dramatically improve your heart health, correct? Yes. yes. Tell us about that. Well, um, another big study released, I think it was in JAMA, major uh, journal a couple years ago, showed that in a big group of people undergoing bariatric surgery, that having surgery reduced the risk of heart attack and death by 56% within four years. So are these all uh, morbidly obese people or these not These are people that qualify for bariatric surgery. So okay. people who have risk factors for heart disease. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, in this group, it was people – and this study was in people who had diagnosed stable heart disease. So in those people who underwent bariatric surgery, it reduced heart attacks and death by 56% in four years. I believe that's a – fair representation of boy that's a lot yeah it's a huge thing so of course the question is how is it doing that and really the way i see our program and the way i approach things is we're going after some key fundamental problems trying to reverse them Um, insulin resistance inflammation and fundamental to both of those is this oxidative stress thing and you see it you see it in blood work very quickly after surgery you know assuming people are following the program and part of it is mediated by the nervous system, and it happens pretty quickly. So bariatric surgery is not necessarily just for weight loss, right? No, of course. No. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the American Diabetics Association, International Diabetic Associations, they've come out, I think it was 2016. They have advocated what they're calling metabolic surgery, which is bariatric surgery for the management of diabetes, type 2 diabetes. And so it's it's increasingly recognized that these operations do a lot of beneficial things, not just the weight loss. Um, and one of those things is um, reducing or interfering with that chain reaction that is driving heart disease and even reducing the risk of heart attack and death in people who have already established stable coronary artery disease. 
So it's not uh, – because oftentimes people think about bariatric surgery or they hear about it and they're thinking, oh, you're going to look good. And or, or, or what's the number on the scale today? It's not about that. Right. And I think I've told you before, it, I would say most often when I go into an exam room to see a patient, I've my brain is not even looking at the number that's been recorded as far as I, I don't think I've ever heard you focus on that number, ever. I mean, it's a metric. I understand it. Um, we're all interested in that, but it can be very distracting. It, but quite honestly, my focus, my goal is is something very different in these people. And if we get to these fundamental problems, insulin resistance, inflammation, oxidative stress, this neurological dysfunction, that number on the scale is going to be awesome. Yeah, which we've already seen with Mona. We've seen with a number right. of people if they yep. come in and been on the uh, podcast. Right. But that is not the goal. The goal is a long, healthy lifestyle. Yep. Feeling good, being there for your grandkids, that kind of stuff, That's right? What it's all about. So I, and I don't know if this is going to embarrass you or what this is going to do, but I hear you've been called a madman. <laughs> By other hmm. doctors. Been called a lot of things. <laughs> well, I have too. What, what is that about? Um, well, that's a good question. So I, I'll say this. We've made a lot of progress in the medical community and in culture in general. In other words, 10 years ago, when I would meet with somebody for the first time, and I'd ask them, look, do you know what carbohydrates are? Um, I would say the vast majority of people didn't know. They'd they probably heard of it before, but they couldn't tell you what it was. Right. Um, nowadays, it is pretty rare that someone says, no, what's, what are carbohydrates? It's, so in other words, people out there, uh, non-physicians, they have learned a lot. And we've, come, uh, we've made a lot of progress with people's understanding of food and a lot of things. In the medical community, we also have made progress. I wish it was faster, but 10 years ago, 8 years ago, whatever – yeah, th- there were a lot more physicians and, and providers who would call into question what I was recommending for people, uh, food primarily. Now there are a lot more out there that are advocating the same thing. Um, even had a report through a patient the other day of a cardiologist saying, mentioning the word keto and that they needed to be eating in that way. So we see it in a lot of different fronts, but we're making progress. So I guess 10 years ago, sure. I... You're not as much of a madman now as you were 10 years ago. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we've covered a, a, a lot of information on heart disease. What are the most important takeaways for people? Everybody can do something. Everybody has the power to do something. You don't have to rely on a, a doctor. I'm not saying... Don't get medical care. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm sure. saying be curious, ask questions, be your own advocate, and take the small steps every day that you can do to really interfere with this process that leads to heart disease. Well, you've simplified it too when you say, hey, it's just about foods, fasting, exercise, water, good sleep, uh, your stress. It's yeah. like we all understand that. We can we can work on those things. Yeah, I agree. All right, Dr. Brown, uh, final thoughts. What's going on in that head of yours? <laughs> Not <laughs> good, everything, good please. Question. Uh, it, human potential. It's all about human potential. Um, every person is a miracle, has tremendous capacity. And 
honestly, that is a big part of my thinking in all of this stuff is, you know, you back up, really, we want to help people live longer and have a greater capacity to do more while they are alive, to spend time with people they love, doing the things that they want to do, and to be productive and complete their mission on planet Earth. We're doing that. You guys are doing that. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks, Rick. We'll have you back next month. Deal. Deal.